Welcome back to the Highway to Health Podcast. And thanks for connecting with us again on Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. For this episode of the podcast, our guest will be Dr. Mark Frazier, who is the Chief Scientific Officer with the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research. Dr. Frazier will be discussing what's happening in the area of Parkinson's research, as well as what is being learned about what causes Parkinson's. Dave Nemo will be your host for this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. And now let's hand it off to Dave for his feature interview with Dr. Mark Frazier from the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research. Dr. Frazier, good morning. Good morning, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Oh, well, thank you so much for being on with us. But I just kind of wanted to go down the timeline just a little bit to kind of bring us where we are, in a sense. 1991, Michael J. Fox is working on the movie Doc Hollywood. Notices a tremor in his little pinky finger. And then it turns out it's Parkinson's. He goes public in 1998. And then in 2000, the Michael J. Fox Foundation is born. You've been with the foundation since 2006, if I'm not mistaken. That's right, 17 years. It's been an exciting journey. We've grown a lot since Michael started the foundation in 2000. We funded over $1.75 billion with a B dollars in research all over the world. So it's wow. been really exciting to see the impact. Let me ask you something, because you mentioned all over the world, and and that's a little vague. (laughs) What I was going to ask you Mm -hmm. is, are there any Parkinson's hotspots on the globe? Is it a Western thing, a European, an American, an Asian thing? No, it doesn't seem to discriminate across the world. We do know that it's associated with an aging population. So the Mm. older the population is, the more common Parkinson's become. So Mm -hmm. in certain Western populations, people live a little bit longer. So we see a little bit more higher prevalence. But no, it's found all over the world. And there are certain genetic factors that are associated with all different backgrounds that are identified to contribute to developing. Parkinson's. One of the things that we're going to talk about here this morning is how our listeners out on the road can actually participate in helping the research go on and to really come to a closure in a sense here to develop a drug to get it going. You've just made a huge discovery about a month ago and that is the discovery that alpha synuclein is a common marker in the spinal fluid of folks who have Parkinson's and it's about 93% accurate, which is a pretty high number for something like this. Kind of walk me off the ledge here. Yeah, diagnosing Parkinson's turns out to be very complicated because Parkinson's is a neurological neurodegenerative disease and everyone experiences it very differently. Most people think about Parkinson's as the tremor or the shaking, but not everyone has that tremor. Some may just have slowness or stiffness or other symptoms like sleep changes. So the journey to being diagnosed with Parkinson's can be years for someone to see the right specialist and be diagnosed. So having a objective marker like a laboratory test to really confirm that someone has Parkinson's disease is what's really needed. And we're excited about this breakthrough. You mentioned alpha-synuclein. It's this protein that everyone has, but it seems to be clumped up in people with Parkinson's. And this new test that was validated in a publication last month showed that about 93% of people with Parkinson's can test positive for this spinal test. Now, 
Obtaining spinal fluid is not easy. We are working and funding research to convert it to a blood test or a urine test, and we're optimistic that's going to get there. But having a laboratory test can really help doctors confirm diagnosis and then guide what medications someone might take. So it's a really important tool and an important breakthrough. I want to just pick up on something you said here, which will take us a little bit out of our lane here just for a moment. But getting it to develop into a blood test, maybe a urine test, something like that. Do most of the tests that we wind up getting at the drugstore, at the doctor's office, do a lot of those tests actually start with spinal fluid or is this unique here? Well, this is somewhat unique in that it's focused on a brain disease. Spinal fluid is the closest thing to the brain that we can actually acquire. We can't yet obtain a brain biopsy. So I think for a lot of neurological disorders, brain disorders, tests may start in the spinal fluid. And certainly we've seen this in Alzheimer's disease where tests were developed in spinal fluid and then most recently transferred to blood. So it's common in brain diseases. Gotcha, gotcha. Understood, understood. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, kind of on a personal note, if you will, because I've heard and I think I've seen folks who have Parkinson's but have the tremor type thing. And there are a lot of symptoms for Parkinson's that aren't the obvious, too, that you're going to kind of walk through, too, this morning. I know you wanted to get to that. And I know Michael J. Fox in the guitar. So all of a sudden you start playing guitar and it seems like you're fine. What is enabling that or do we know at this point? Yes, we do know through a lot of research that there's a certain type of brain cell that is lost in Parkinson's disease. It's a cell called the dopamine cell, and these dopamine cells produce a chemical called dopamine. And I like to think of it as sort of the motor oil that keeps the brain and the movement going. When these cells are lost, that can cause movement challenges like the tremor or like slowness or stiffness. And then there's other areas of the brain that may be affected that may change your mood or affect sleep, and even smell loss is associated with Parkinson's disease. So there's a lot we don't know about Parkinson's, but we do know that this area of the brain that has these cells with dopamine are lost in the disorder. James Parkinson, as you know, the British doctor, wrote an essay called Essay on the Shaking Palsy, and that was 1817. During the news break, you and I were talking about the fact that they've got evidence that India and even possibly China were talking about Parkinson's, if you will, maybe in the Earth. 1000 BC in that era. So this is something that's been going on for a long, long time. But Parkinson really kind of codified things, didn't he? Weren't others pretty much on the track to pinning this down for some time before he came along? Yeah, it's been well described for a long time. And Parkinson's, I think you're right, he was the one who described it in a journal and subsequently named after him. But one of the challenges, I would say, even today, is awareness about Parkinson's disease. When we talk to people with Parkinson's, they say, well, yeah, my grandfather, my aunt, we think he or she may have had it, but they never really saw a doctor to understand whether it was Parkinson's and were never treated. One of the things that the Michael J. Fox Foundation is doing is trying to not just fund research, but raise awareness so that people that may have all of these symptoms that I mentioned, or one of the symptoms that I mentioned, will seek out treatment and become aware of Parkinson's disease. Because there are a lot of very effective medicines right now that can treat Parkinson's. So raising awareness, I think, is key to driving new discoveries and participating in research. So that's one of our goals as well.
You mentioned a couple of times here that we have an aging population. You and I talked about that in trucking, too, as well, off the air. And we kind of link that together. So, obviously, most people, by and large, like the vast majority, are going to be of a certain age. But I've seen other diseases now kind of go on down the scale of age, and more and more children are getting adult-type diseases. Am I overstating that? Well, we know Parkinson's is growing because of the aging population. So estimates suggest that a million people in the U.S. have Parkinson's disease, probably 6 million worldwide. The average age of diagnosis is in the late 50s, early 60s, but about... 10 to 15% of people have Parkinson's below that age. And you mentioned Michael Fox himself was diagnosed at the age of 29. So it can occur in the younger population. It doesn't seem to be rising in the younger population. I would say it's consistent with what we've known, but it does span all certain decades, higher prevalence in the 50s and 60s. This may be way out of your wheelhouse, Dr. Mark Fraser. so please don't be offended and just say, I don't know. One of the things that my business partner and host on the shows here, Michael Burns, I was on vacation and I was listening to the show and he had a guy on, and this was years ago, talking about the fact that children's brains now, babies that are being born, their brains are wired a little bit different than, say, mine. I'm a baby boomer here. So our brains are a little bit different and that's why they can program that phone like nobody's business and I'm still trying to figure out how to text. Okay. Is there something to that in this world in terms of Parkinson's? Are brains changing? And does that change things in terms of tracking down stuff like that biomarker? Or maybe our brains are overcoming that? In other words, is there a changing brain? It's a great question. I mean, we are all evolving as humans, certainly. I don't know that we know enough about brains evolving quickly, but one of the things that the foundation has been funding is these better tools to study the brain and study changes in the brain. So it could be brain imaging tools or these laboratory tests that really tell us what's happening to the brain. And that will help us understand whether the brain is changing over time in young adults versus older people. So I like to say the brain is sort of the last frontier and there's a lot we don't understand about how it works. But developing these innovative tools to really measure the living brain and understand it, I think will help us answer those types of questions. We'll just wait for the new Perry Mason series, The Case of the Changing Brain. (laughs) (laughs) Diagnosing is very difficult because unless your hands are shaking or something, you're not going to say, you know, Doc, I think I might have Parkinson's. And unless they are shaking, he's not going to notice that. And she's going to ask you some other questions. So there's a checklist that you guys have to have, I guess, in front of you. Yeah, that's right. And like I said, it could be many different symptoms or several different symptoms combined that contribute to the diagnosis. So it's not always tremor. It could be a stiff shoulder, for example. A lot of people complain of a sore shoulder, and then that may develop into slowness or stiffness around the body or a tremor. So there is a checklist, and we're developing better tools, more objective tests that can help the diagnosis. But going from your doctor's office to a neurologist to maybe even a specialist that treats a lot of people with Parkinson's can be a long road. So that's why we encourage people to just be very active and talk to their doctor as much as possible. So to have the test, the spinal tap, and by the way, I didn't realize this, but when you take a little spinal fluid out, it replenishes very quickly. So no foul, no harm there, right? 
That's exactly right. And there's very little side effect of getting the spinal tap. Sometimes there's a temporary headache, but it goes away very quickly. If someone comes in and they are obviously visibly shaking, they have the tremor and stuff, I would imagine they go right to the list to where we do the spinal tap. But if the symptoms aren't so obvious, we were almost, not quite, but almost kidding around during the news break about, gee, I can't smell, is it Parkinson's or COVID? Because that skews things so much. Has COVID skewed what you guys are doing to any degree beyond, say, that sort of thing? Yeah, it's a good question. And the answer is no, not really. COVID, for the most part, seems to be very temporary, where smell loss with Parkinson's is pretty permanent. Using a scratch and sniff test, we can determine whether it's temporary or not. So it hasn't influenced the research to a great deal. And I think just going back to the point about this lab test, I think it's important just to say that right now the test is very useful for research and it's impacting our ability to develop new treatments and design cheaper and faster clinical trials that are testing new drugs. But right now, using it as a way to diagnose Parkinson's disease, there's actually other tools that neurologists have at their disposal that can help diagnose and it really doesn't affect how currently care might be given or treatments might be given. So right now the laboratory test and the new breakthrough is really impacting research and clinical trials that will develop new treatments to be approved down the line. I would imagine that the sooner you discover, the sooner treatment begins, the better off you are. Or is there a point to where eh, it doesn't really make that much difference at this point? Yeah, it depends on the drug. And there are a number of drugs right now that are available to doctors and patients that work and are very effective at any stage of disease. But what's exciting is that there's a really robust pipeline of new treatments in clinical trials and testing or experimental treatments that we think might slow or stop the progression of Parkinson's. Remember, Parkinson's is progressive. For these treatments, we think that the earlier you can intervene and earlier you can treat, the better chance you have of slowing the disease and preserving those brain cells that are not lost. And that's what we're excited about with this new test because the data that was shown last month suggests that this test can detect Parkinson's even before some of the symptoms emerge. So it could be a predictor of someone that might develop. Indeed. Wow, Dr. Frazier, we're covering a lot of bases there and can't thank you enough for being with us here this morning. What can folks do to help not only themselves, but the world population and defeat Parkinson's here? Well on the way, it seems. Absolutely. We need more volunteers to participate. And I will say you do not need Parkinson's to participate in Parkinson's research and make an impact on Parkinson's discoveries. The study I mentioned that had the big breakthrough or validated the breakthrough is called the Parkinson's Progression Marker Initiative, PPMI for short. It's funded by the Michael J. Fox Foundation. You can learn more about it by going to michaeljfox.org slash PPMI. And we are seeking volunteers, people with and without Parkinson's, especially those that are over the age of 60 to contribute to research so you can sign up there. Fantastic. And another easy way to get to the Michael J. Fox Foundation, simply go to radionemo.com and scroll down below the pictures there and you'll see 
On Highway to Health, Dr. Mark Fraser of the Michael J. Fox Foundation discusses the newly discovered Parkinson's disease biomarker and what this means for future research. The link is there, and I hope you'll link up. I hope you'll come back on the program sometime, maybe not necessarily when the next breakthrough comes through, but what is the next thing that you guys are excited about at this point? Can you tell us anything? Well, we're excited about the new treatments that I think will result from this There are trials, like I said, in development that are focused on this protein alpha-synuclein, and we think that there are a number of drugs that are targeting this protein that we think can slow or stop the progression of Parkinson's. So that's what we're anticipating as, as the next big thing on the horizon. That closes out this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. We would like to take this opportunity to thank you once again for spending part of your day with us on Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Now, folks, you can always find the Highway to Health Podcast through Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. And let's tell you about a few of the outlets where the podcast is available. You can listen to all of the episodes of the Highway to Health Podcast through our website. Or you can subscribe to the podcast through all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search Highway to Health. The Highway to Health Podcast is a production of Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo.